It's a birthday celebration that is just too sweet not to pass up. I'm talking about the 25th anniversary of the New World Order. Happy birthday to the NWO. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. This is Kicking Out at Two, and I'm really looking forward to this show this week because the NWO and this storyline, you know, it's 25 years old. It's it, it made a huge mark on the industry. It, it, it basically changed the game. It was a game changer. And there are a lot of different elements that made it a game changer that really brought it all together as one. So with this episode, this recording here, I've decided to kind of dissect and pick it apart a little bit in a different way. Meaning my trading places concept. This time around, I'm going to I'm going to figure out could there have been another third man? Could someone else have taken the place that Hulk Hogan was in as the leader of the New World Order, as the third guy with the Outsiders Hall and Nash. Um, I got I got plenty of different options here to choose from, all with different uh, reasons behind why it could be, and if those particular individuals could have been game changers. Could those have been game changers that would have changed the face of wrestling as we knew it 25 years ago? I really am looking forward to getting into that and discussing with you. But before we do all of that, of course, you know it's the top of the show. You know I got to do it. I got to shill. I got to plug. I got to put the brand out there. That's right. Kicking out of two on both Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. As well as our Twitter handle at kicking out two. K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T. And the number two, like us on Facebook, give us a follow on Twitter. I put up funny pictures. I, I, I try to create discussion. I know it's summertime. Not many people are on their on their phones, on social media, and, and, and trying to engage in, in nostalgic pro wrestling conversation. But I put it out there for all of you to, uh, you know, enjoy. And there's, you know, posts, uh, you know, months prior that some people will comment on. Some people will, you know, interact with, if you will. So um, it's, it's all up there. You can check it out on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can also find this show as a part of the Retro Main. Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. Uh, we are on Podbean, which is our home, but we are also on Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and all other podcast platforms available. We've got shows like Monday Night Marks, Cool Truth at AC, Catching Up, uh, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, and of course, this show, Kicking Out It Too. we got all kinds of great bonus content over there as well. By searching Retromania with a W, you can find a bunch of great stuff. Evergreen podcast, as Kobe likes to say, uh, you can. You, there's a lot of you know. I, I bring the nostalgia factor to to, to the mix. Uh, cool truth. They do a little bit of AEW, some New Japan, some Impact Wrestling. Um, Monday Night Marks. They talk strictly about the Monday Night Wars. They they, they kind of recap what took place on that particular week. Um, Catching up with Kobe and myself, Kobe and I, we, we, we catch up with what took place in the world of wrestling, a monthly retrospective, if you will, talking about the, the ins and outs, what's going on in TV, what's going on behind the scenes, and our thoughts and our opinions on it, just like every other podcast out there. Um, you know, Hulkamania is Dead is a, is a, uh, uh, a fantasy-booked uh, wrestling podcast where Kobe... And it, first it was Jimmy, then I was a part of the booking team. We've kind of taken a little bit of sabbatical here due to scheduling. But Hulkamania's Dead is all about how the World Wrestling Federation became a big global entity without Hulk Hogan. What if Hulk Hogan did not defeat the Iron Sheik and go on that huge run in the Rocking Wrestling era? What if Iron Sheik actually did break his leg and take that money from Vern Gagne, uh, you know, the AWA promoter, allegedly? What would the WWF and wrestling be like without Hulk Hogan? They mapped through all of that from 1984 all the way to 1993. I believe they're on... I believe Hulkamania is Dead is now on... 
late 91, maybe early 92. I could be mistaken. Um, but yeah, that, that's a lot of fun. Origins of Attitude talks about the, the literally, the origins of the Attitude Era in the WWF. You know, sh- the big names like Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Undertaker, Vince McMahon. The list goes on and on. The, the great conversations over there uh, with Kobe and uh, Jimmy and the other guys, part of Retromania as well. So you could find all of that over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Learn by searching Retromania with a W. All right. Got all of that out of the way. I think it's about that time that we trade places with the third man. Now, before we get into the alternate scenarios, as we all know, at the time of this recording, when this recording drops, I should say, it will be the 25-year anniversary of the NWO, of the night that Hulk Hogan turned heel and changed the wrestling world forever. Hulk Hogan became a bad guy, and he joined up with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who recently defected from the WWF. They were the outsiders, and they became the New World Order. And things just went on a wild ride for a number of years for not only WCW, but for the entire wrestling world. Um, If it wasn't for that particular storyline, if it wasn't for that particular moment, I don't feel like that other, you know, the WWF and other wrestling organizations would have. Provided the great content that they did in the, during the Monday Night Wars era. That was the, really the lightning rod that, that got it started. You can make arguments that Luger showing up on Nitro got things kicked off. You can make an argument that you know it was Austin 316 and, and the Austin 316 speech that really got it going. You can make an argument it was Gold Dust. And, and he, I, I feel like he was a precursor to that Attitude Era. I've said that before. But if it wasn't for this particular story, I don't think things would have been off and running the way they did. So let's go back to how it really began. Uh, I'm not going to go too far into the weeds here, but I'm just going to kind of give you the cliff notes as how we got to this point of Bash at the Beach 1996. And then I'm going to get into the alternate ideas, alternate scenarios of a different third man. And I got a few in mind um, that I think are going to be pretty interesting. Um, As we know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, both prominent Characters in the World Wrestling Federation, Scott Hall portraying Razor Ramon, Kevin Nash was Diesel. They were big names in the WWF. Both individuals had left the World Wrestling Federation in controversial fashion, of course, with the click curtain call uh, May 19th, 1996, Madison Square Garden with Triple H and Shawn Michaels breaking kayfabe in front of the the, the entire audience. Um, they had already planned to leave the WWF. They'd given their notice. Um, And following that, we would see Scott Hall make his debut on Nitro, interrupting a a match that was already in progress, coming through the crowd and pretty much, you know, starting the war. You want a war, you got a war. Um, You know, calling out, you know, Hogan and Savage and Eric Bischoff and, you know, um, really taking everybody by surprise. And then following that, two weeks later, he would show up on Nitro again, but this time he wasn't alone. Kevin Nash came with him. And I remember as a youngster watching both of these Nitros. And the first time I had seen Scott Hall on Nitro, I was like, oh, damn, Razor Ramon left the WWF? I had no idea. Because there was no formal announcement that he was leaving. And I wasn't up to date with the dirt sheets. And I didn't, you know, read the, the, the rumor and innuendo on the internet. And then two weeks later, Nash shows up. And I was like, and Diesel was one of my favorites in the, in the, the, the new generation era. And I was like, whoa. Diesel's gone too? Because I really wanted to see him and Sean go at it for the title a few more times. They had that banger of a match at In Your House, Good Friends, Better, Better Enemies. 
So I was really looking forward to seeing them go at it some more. So when he wasn't on TV, you know, I, I, wheels started turning, but I didn't think he was going to WCW. So this was a big shock to see these guys. And I was like, whew, this is, this is something else. You know, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in front of me. And then you fast forward to a couple of weeks later, the Great American Bash in Baltimore in June of 96. And Eric Bischoff invites Hall and Nash to come to the pay-per-view so they, they can address this issue that they're having. And Bischoff could formally announce that there will be a match taking place, but they were wondering where the third man was. And Hall and Nash made a statement by attacking Eric Bischoff and then throwing him off the stage via a jackknife powerbomb courtesy of Kevin Nash. And that's when things really started to heat up. And we would see Hall and Nash make more appearances on Nitro. One of the, one of the, the more infamous moments during this lead-up and during this build-up was when Hall and Nash invaded Nitro through the crowd with baseball bats. And they had a standoff with a good portion of the WCW roster and the local cops that were in the arena that night. I even remember watching that Nitro and the camera um, uh, had a close-up of one of the police officers holding his gun and the holster and it felt very, very real to me. And it was like, it, it was must-see TV. Have, you know, seeing these guys out from, you know, defecting from the WWF. It appeared to most people that it was an invasion of some sorts. Because, you know, Scott Hall was portraying some mannerisms of the Razor Ramon character. With the accent, the toothpick, and the hair, etc. And... Nash didn't really, you know, portray Diesel, but, you know, he looked like Diesel. Uh, so you really couldn't help but, um, but uh, you know, think that they were, you know, invading from the WWF. And as time went on in this angle, you know, it was announced on television that there was a random draft lottery and three of WCW's biggest stars were going to meet the challenge of these outsiders at, at the upcoming Bash at the Beach, Sting, Randy Savage, and Lex Luger. And it was announced that, they would be the, the team that represents WCW. And so, behind the scenes, courtesy of some notes I have in the Nitro book, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you know, some excerpts from the Nitro book. By the way, you have to check this book out. Nitro by Guy Evans. The, the, uh, the Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. Go find it on Amazon. I got it for Christmas last year. I read it once. I'm currently reading it again just for ha-has because it was such a great book. Um, and I thought I'd share some of the, 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 the excerpts from, from that book regarding this, this moment of Hulk Hogan turning heel and Bash at the Beach. Because I think it's very relevant to what I'm going to discuss later with some of these, these scenarios here. Uh, and, and alternate ideas of who could have been the third man other than Hulk Hogan. So, um, behind the scenes... They were still trying to look for who the third guy was going to be. Eric Bischoff had kind of suggested um, months prior to this for Hulk Hogan to change his character and become a bad guy. And Hulk Hogan turned him down. Uh, Hulk Hogan said something to the effect of, until you've walked a mile in my red and yellow boots, you just don't understand. And so the, the, the hunt for the third man was on. Now, at that time, I don't believe Bischoff pitched the idea of him being the third man. It was more or less just somewhat of a character change because there were instances 
I don't remember this as a, as a kid because maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but there were instances throughout the course of this, this run in WCW where Hogan wasn't as accepted as he was up north in the WWF by the, the, the WCW fan base. There were a lot of boos and um, negative, rea- negative crowd reactions, and uh, Hogan had a short-term deal with WCW at the time. His deal was up in, I believe, October of 96, so they were trying to salvage... Um, you know, this Hulk Hogan run in WCW because albeit it was successful on a financial level with marketers and advertisers and and, and TV ratings and, and, you know, adding mainstream credibility to, to WCW rather than being a regional southern territory. They were a national mainstream promotion with Hulk Hogan on board and other guys like, you know, Randy Savage and, you know, Names like that. Ric Flair, of course. So, um, Hogan's Hogan's character and Hogan was at a crossroads in and of itself. He had been the the quintessential good guy and, you know, trained, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. He launched wrestling into the mainstream stratosphere in the, the, the late 80s and early part of the early 90s, too. So, his character was kind of getting stale and the WCW audience was letting him know that. And right around this time is when things started to click. Um, Eric Bischoff was on a, a, a visit with, uh, with Hogan on a movie set and Bischoff was still undecided as to who he was going to choose to be the third man. And Hogan suggested that he be the guy. Now, Kevin Nash was once quoted in a shoot interview saying that um, Hulk saw that money train leaving and he wanted to make sure he had a spot on it, which is very, it's a a very clever line, but it's true because I think Hogan saw this as an opportunity to reinvent himself and to add longevity to his time in the wrestling industry, because I don't think if he, if he didn't take, if he didn't take the plunge um, and, and, and go full bad guy. I really think that Hulk Hogan would have he, he wouldn't have lasted as long as he did in wrestling. You know, he had a, a, a good, you know, five, six, seven years in W you know, I'd say about five years in WCW, you know, under the Hollywood Hogan persona. Um, he kind of flipped back and forth between the red and yellow and, and Hollywood Hogan and um, Hollywood Hogan eventually became a good guy at one point in WCW, but um, if it wasn't for this Hulk Hogan may never cease to exist. I mean, he still would be one of the greatest of all time because of what he accomplished, but his WCW run would be looked at as a, as an extremely disappointing time in his career. So, um, after Hogan agrees to it and says, I'm going to be the third guy, and Bischoff likes the idea, um, just days before the pay-per-view on Sunday, he was in. In response, a skeptical Sullivan, mindful of his star's tendency to second-guess himself, often a consequence of listening to others, including his wife, suggested that Bolea spend Saturday in his Daytona home. It's a mile from the building, Sullivan implored. Bolea showed up on Saturday, but he wasn't alone. He was with his agent, Peter Young, and he had a message for Sullivan. We need to talk. As day became night at the Sullivan home, Balea deliberated his participation in the pay-per-view. Everybody was telling him it was the wrong thing to do, Sullivan says. He was getting booed out of the arena, but they were all saying this is going to kill him. 
I, I should have mentioned before. This this is Kevin Sullivan, head booker of WCW at the time, um, quoted here in the Nitro book. With no end to the discussion in sight, the wily booker casually suggested that Bollea and Young make use of his two guest rooms until the morning. I isolated them, Sullivan admits. I was just afraid that at the last minute he was going to use his creative control clause and pull out. Let me stop you right there. Creative control clause Hogan had in his contract in WCW where if he felt any discomfort or uncomfortable with certain scenarios and situations that his character was portrayed in on television, he had the right to pull his creative control card and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to happen. According to Eric Bischoff, Hogan did that only once in his entire career with WCW. Moving on, if Sullivan could deliver Bollea to the arena by showtime, the finish of the match called for Hogan to star in the most dramatic of surprise endings. In a sequence devised by Kevin Nash, an unannounced Hulkster would shockingly interfere in the match, but only after the heels gained an unfair advantage through cheating. It would be a brilliant misdirection, Nash thought, as fans would instinctively believe Hogan's appearance to be in support of the babyface team. I knew there were going to be 55 different ideas, Nash says, thinking back to the eve of the event, so I actually put a lot of thought into it. So I called Scott two or three days before that and said, what do you think about this? We had to make it two on a two-on-two match with, with Luger getting injured during the match and going out. We would cheat to get Macho in trouble, and all of a sudden Hulk comes down, which of course would mean, okay, here comes Hulk to make the save. Hall said, I love it. There was, however, a looming possibility that Balea could reject his turn at the 11th hour. Thinking ahead, Bischoff developed a contingency plan in place in which Sting would play the role, ultimately revealing himself, despite not having prior experience in the WWF, as the third man instead. I'll get to that shortly, okay? I will get to that in a little bit. Um, Amazingly, even as Bash at the Beach began, Bischoff continued to consider Plan B. I remember walking by this perforated wall in the Ocean Center, divulges Nash, and Eric said to me, Hulk is with Sullivan, he's not sure he's going to do it yet. It was up in the air. Meanwhile, viewers of the pay-per-view, and for that matter, WCW's own production staff, speculated as to the identity of the third man. They were trying to work everyone, asserts Jason Douglas, a WCW producer backstage at his first pay-per-view event. Rocket, a staff member named Rick Sancher, came up to me. They were kind of testing me because I was new on the road and said, hey, I think it's going to be WWF wrestler Bret Hart. I guess it was to see if I would leak something, and so I was just like, oh, cool, Bret Hart. In reality, aside from Bischoff, Balea, Young, Hall, Nash, and Sullivan, the term would be concealed from everyone, even the announcers, according to orders from Bischoff, as to ensure their most realistic reactions. With less than an hour before the main event began, production staffer Woody Kearse discovered a revealing clue in the parking lot. A Hulk Hogan motorcycle had appeared mysteriously in one of the spaces, sparking another round of backstage conjecture. Finally, with what Sullivan recalls as 30 minutes, and Bischoff remembers as 45 to 60 minutes left on the air, Balea belatedly arrived at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. The mood suddenly changed. Upon realizing that his star had been convinced, Bischoff began to relax. Once he got to the building, I recall a sense of calm. He reveals all of the anxiety, all of the tension, all of the worry, all of the effort to make sure things stayed quiet. All of that just kind of dissipated. It was like fog lifting when the sun comes out. It all just went away. I was thinking, it is what it is. There's nothing more than I can do, so let's just roll with it. To cement the turn, Balea knew he would have to deliver a monumental post-match promo to explain his actions. While typically enjoyed using Bischoff, as a sounding board to rehearse interviews, the need for complete privacy on this occasion was unquestionably paramount. And so, away from prying eyes and ears, the two met up in the most unglamorous of clandestine locations, 
a utility closet. In the midst of the run-through, Bischoff stopped to emphasize an important point. When you grab that microphone, I want you to say, this is the beginning of the New World Order. The phrase, the New World Order, lingered auspiciously in the air. Fans at the Ocean Center waited anxiously. Oh, no, never mind. I'm not reading that part. Uh, all right, so anyhow, long story short, I'll get to I'll, I'll get to a few other things later that that were that, that I mentioned there about staying in Bret Hart. Um, Hogan was unsure of what he was going to do, and of course, as we all know, he made the right decision and revived his career tenfold by turning into a bad guy and becoming Hollywood Hogan, the leader of the New World Order with Hall and Nash. And like I said, things went on a wild ride, not only for WCW, but for wrestling as a whole. Um, so, with that being said, okay, Hulk Hogan is the third man. He becomes the leader of the New World Order. He changes wrestling. He, he, he changes the landscape. Um, everything that he represented... You know, the training, the saying your prayers, the eating your vitamins, believing in yourself. Everything that he was known for to casual wrestling fans, to hardcore wrestling fans, to, to the mainstream media and to, pub, and, and, and to you know, pop culture, all went out the window. Hollywood Hogan was a completely different persona. It was edgier. It was cool. He had a little bit of help with, with the coolness factor of Hall and Nash, with the... the, the the wolf pack, you know, the, the, the hand gesture, the too sweet hand gesture, which, you know, to this day, I still throw up the I, I still throw up the sign every once in a while with my brothers or, you know, at other wrestling events and things like that, because it's just one of those things. It's 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 cool, you know what I mean? I mean it's to the point where Bullet Club did it for a long time as an homage to the NWO, AJ Styles and Gallows and Anderson and Omega. You see the Young Bucks still doing it every once in a while. You know, it's something that uh you know, it, it's it, it's timeless. It's going to last forever. And so, Hogan, bad guy, changes wrestling. Now, let's get into the alternate scenarios here, okay? Had Hulk Hogan decided, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to kill my career this way. I'm not going to... I'm not going to go against my 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 beliefs and I'm not going I'm not going to take this chance. I'm going to play it safe because the red and yellow and the training and saying your prayers, it worked before, it can work again. I'm going to sit this one out, brother. That's not going to work for me, brother. Let's just say for argument's sake he decides that he does not want to be the third man, okay? There are four alternate ideas and suggestions that I'm going to lay out for all of you here on this recording as to who could have been the third man. And I'm going to discuss whether these were game changers or not or if it was just a, a little spark that WCW might have needed in their programming. Um, and I'm just going to take it from there. So the first suggestion Is going to be Lex Luger. Lex Luger as the third man. And here's why, okay? This is just the first idea, all right? First suggestion. Here are the reasons why I think Luger could have been the third man. Now, I'll, I'll come out straight off the straight off the rip. I don't think it would have been a game changer in wrestling. I don't think it would have been something where, you know, you would have seen, you know, 
Luger become this mainstream star, but I think Luger being the third man with Hall and Nash and kind of portraying this WWF invasion without saying WWF on WCW programming, I think it would have been, I think it would have been interesting. Um, it wouldn't have been as strong of a story with you know that that Hogan um, had portrayed with the NWO, but I think it would have been something that would have. I think it would have been interesting. Let's just put it that way. And here are my reasons behind it. From a storyline standpoint, okay? Um, first and foremost, Luger returned to WCW on the very first Nitro, okay? The very first Nitro. You could say, like I said earlier, he fired the first shot, okay? This could be something where... They could have planted this seed all along on the very first Nitro. Luger showing up and kind of causing chaos from the very beginning. Because if you think about it, Luger's character kind of caused some chaos when he returned to WCW. If you were a big, you know, WCW, uh, you know, loyal follower from back then in the '90s, Luger shows up on Nitro. He wants a shot at Hogan right away. Hogan, he's got this little alliance with Sting and Randy Savage going after the Horsemen, the Dungeon of Doom, etc. Luger kind of helps, but at the same time, he also wants to be where the big boys play. He wants a shot at Hogan's title. And so, even though Luger's got this, you know, longtime association with Sting, who's a friend of his, there's some there's some tension in the air. You know, Randy Savage at one point didn't trust Lex Luger throughout this throughout this little alliance that they would have. It would even come to the point where Luger had joined the Dungeon of Doom for a brief period of time. Because for whatever reason. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you. But Luger was Luger was kind of causing stirring it up and causing some chaos from time to time. He was a good guy in association with Sting and and and, and Savage and even Hogan to an extent. But at the same time, he had this he had these, you know, these heel tendencies that you would see come out every once in a while, especially when he was in a tag with Sting. Um, when they were the WCW Tag Team Champions uh, in the in the the months prior. So with Luger being the one to fire the first shot, show up on Nitro, could this have been been the start of the invasion, so to speak? Um, invading WCW and kind of stirring things up, you know, on his own. Um, even so much so as his friend Sting questioning his loyalties from time to time. Um, you know, as as tag team partners. Savage didn't trust him to begin with in storyline and Hogan and Luger they didn't I mean they coexisted but you knew that there was always something there you know that the two of them could eventually go at any time against one another so um yeah it was um it it could it could be something that makes sense when you connect all those dots all right Luger's also got that affiliation with the WWF with Razor, with Diesel, even though you know WCW never mentioned them by name, it's actually funny too. Um, WCW tried to license the name Axel for Kevin Nash uh, as like a take on Diesel, and I believe they were going to call Scott Hall um, the bad guy, but unfortunately, WWF and their legal team they got involved and they had to. It, it was it was too much like the Razor and Diesel character, so they just kept it at Hall and Nash, which is fine. I'm you know I just thought I'd throw that in. There was something I read in the Nitro book. So Luger being the third man, 
could make sense from that standpoint. He's got WWF ties. He wasn't a huge star over there, but coming over, firing the first shot on Nitro, disrupting things, um, you know, him, Hall, Nash is like a little alliance of sorts. It could work, but it, I don't think it would be a game changer in wrestling. Okay, I don't think Luger had that mainstream draw and 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 ability to you know change the wrestling world with him turning into a bad guy. If anything, it would just be you know stating the obvious that Luger's character couldn't be trusted. Now, how would you set that up? I mean, you could go the same route that you did before. Originally, when Luger got taken out of that match early on. Um, in the corner, when Sting gave Nash a Stinger splash and Luger was tucked underneath him and taken out in a stretcher, you could go that route. And then maybe Luger comes back to make the save, but then turns on Savage and Sting, and he joins up with Hall and Nash. You know? And then we finally see Lex Luger's true colors revealed. You know? You could go that route. Um, or you could keep Luger in the match, and Luger doesn't tag in, and you make it a three-on-two, and Hall and Nash still got the advantage. And at one point... Sting, or even, yeah, Savage gets taken out. Let's say Savage gets taken out instead, okay? Midway through the match, and it's just Luger and Sting, and Sting finally makes the hot tag. Boom, Luger comes in, he runs the ropes, all of a sudden, flying forearm to Sting, knocks him out, Hall and Nash pin him, and there you have it. Luger was the third guy. Would it have this great impact on wrestling and the entire landscape and make wrestling this big mainstream uh media form of entertainment no i don't think so but i think it would give wcw a little bit of a shot in the arm because i think their programming was 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 getting to the point where it was it was borderline comical with the dungeon of doom and all this other stuff so i I think that there's a, a chance and an opportunity to revive the programming not with the same not with the same uh what's the word not with the same effect that it that the programming changed when Hogan turned and we saw the formation of the New World Order. But I think it would make for an interesting, interesting scenario, an interesting setup. Um, <clears throat> but game changer? No, no. It's it, you, you. We wouldn't be talking about Lex Luger as the leader of the New World Order and one of the greatest of all time had they gone this route. But I think it would have made for an interesting time period and it probably wouldn't have lasted as long as it did, but it would have been something short term and then they probably would have had to have gone back to the drawing board. But at the very least, this time, you'd have Hall and Nash under your under your roof um, to go back to the drawing board and figure out something else. So... That Lex Luger is one of those, um, one of those individuals that I think could have been the third man at one point. Not a game changer, not as impactful, but still makes sense when you connect all those dots. The next choice, Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, mind you, okay, Luger. I got to make it a point. He was in the original match. Savage in the original match. Okay. 
Randy Savage at the time in WCW, his character was going through a lot of issues with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. Miss Elizabeth had left him and had taken his money and she had, you know, Ric Flair was spending Macho Man's money and Randy Savage at one point, his, you know, every week on Nitro, it was a, it was a, a battle to see if Savage was going to get his hands on Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen because they were tormenting him week after week after week and Savage... You know, WCW was was preventing him from getting his hands on Ric Flair. Um, I believe there was even like a, a, a restraining order storyline that was put in place or an aspect of the storyline where Flair had a restraining order. Savage was banned from the building at times when, when Flair was in the building. And, um, you know, Savage's character was just going through a lot of, of unrest. He still had an association with Sting from time to time. He was still in, a, in an association and a tag with Hogan um, every once in a while. But um, for the most part, Savage was kind of left on an island unto himself. He still didn't really trust Luger a whole lot, okay? Because uh, Luger, you know, his character had done some shady things every once in a while. But um, Savage being a third man makes sense on a number of levels. Okay, first of all, his ties with the WWF. You know, when you think of the WWF in the in the 80s and even into, you know, the 90s, you think of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, all right? Macho Man was like the number 2 guy. At times he was the number 1 guy, okay? So, you think of that WWF tie, all right? From a character and storyline standpoint, like I said, Randy Savage was kind of an island unto himself. The Horsemen and Ric Flair were torturing him. Hulk Hogan, his friend, was nowhere to be found. Sting had his issues with Luger. He didn't trust Luger. And so Randy Savage being the third man would be, it would be a very interesting, another very interesting scenario, okay? Not quite a game changer, all right, for wrestling as a whole, okay, but an interesting shot in the arm to WCW programming, very similar to, you know, Luger, okay? Savage, like I said, had his issues with the Horsemen, but now bringing in Hall and Nash, the invading outsiders, Savage could feel like WCW turned their back on him, allowing Ric Flair and the Horsemen to torment him the way he did. Okay, Savage also feeling like his friend Hogan and his friend Sting turned their back on him when he was going through some of the worst times in his career with the horsemen tormenting him and Miss Elizabeth spending all his money. Okay, think about it. Um, Randy Savage's character was spiraling out of control and he was so out of control that he went to great lengths to feel like he needed some backup, and that's where Hall and Nash come in, and that's how we introduce the Outsiders, and that's how, you know, the Outsiders become, in a sense, backup for Randy Savage against the Four Horsemen, against Hulk Hogan, against Sting, okay? You know, familiar people that he was involved with on television. Would it be this big, giant takeover? Maybe, okay? Maybe Savage, maybe Savage's character would feel like he was wronged by WCW on a number of occasions, and he wanted to take it over with Hall and Nash and this NWO. I mean, I think it could work, and I think it would have an impact. It wouldn't have as strong of an impact 
with Hulk Hogan because many people remember that Randy Savage was once a bad guy. What worked with Hogan was that he wasn't a bad guy on a mainstream level in his career. He had flirted with being a bad guy in the late 70s with classy Freddie Blassie. But most fans at that time didn't remember that or they vaguely remembered, but it didn't last very long. Savage, on the other hand, he had been back and forth good guy, bad guy a few times, okay? So having Savage as a bad guy here, it would add an edgier effect to his character being associated with the WWF's former talents in Hall and Nash. And he would have an axe to grind with WCW. He would have an axe to grind with the Horsemen. He would have an axe to grind with Hogan. He would have an axe to grind with Sting. All these things happening to him in a short period of time, he decides, well, fuck it. I'm just going to bring in you know, two big names, two guys that I know from the WWF, and we're going we're gonna to tear it up. We're going to take it over. And I think, like I said, I think it could work, okay? I think it could be one of those things that... Um, not as strong of an impact, but it would give WCW programming the shot in the arm that it needed. With with Randy Savage, pretty much the top bad guy with Hall and Nash. And like I said, the history that they that they have all together in the WWF at the time, it, it, it would it would make a lot of sense. Um so now how do we get there? How does that happen? Okay. Kind of similar to the Luger situation. Um you could take Savage out of the match early on, and then he comes out to make the save. You're what we think makes the save, and out of nowhere, um, it turns out he's he's the third man behind it all. Okay, or we have let's just say we have. Um, Here's, here's an idea. Here's a thought. Let's say we go with Luger getting taken out, right? Okay, we go with Luger getting taken out, right? Originally, same way. It's Sting and Savage against Hall and Nash. And Hall and Nash virtually isolate Sting throughout the, the, the course of the match. Every So often Sting would try and get a hot tag, but, you know, Hall and Nash would... Cut him off at the pass. Savage can't get in the match, okay? Then finally, after Sting makes a big comeback, takes out Hall and Nash, he gets the tag to Randy Savage, all right? And Savage is now alone with the Outsiders. Sting's on the ground, taken out. You know, he had been beaten the entire match. Sting's on the ground, taken out. And he's all by himself. And out of nowhere, here comes Hulk Hogan, all right? Hulkamania is here. Hulk Hogan is in the building, baby. That's right, Dusty Rhodes. I'm going to play that the, the audio for the Hogan turn at the end of the show that you guys can listen to that I don't own the rights to, by the way, once again. Um, and it's it's two-on-one. Hall and Nash look like they got the advantage on Savage, but here comes Hogan to help out his, his mega power brother, 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 brother. And he rips off the shirt, and you think that they're ready to go. And it's even now. Hogan here to save WCW, here to save his brother Randy Savage. And out of nowhere, Savage low blows Hogan. And the outsiders start beating on Hogan. And Savage is the one that's directing the the outsiders and calling all the shots. And Savage cuts that promo at the end. He's like, WCW, turn your back.
tax on the macho man. Everything I've done for this company. You allowed the four horsemen and Ric Flair to torment me and spend my money. Hulk Hogan, you were nowhere to be found. Sting, you were useless. WCW, you did nothing for the macho man. And now... I got nothing for you. Nothing but chaos with Hall and Nash watching my back. This is the NWO, New World Order, uh-huh. Think about it. That'd be pretty cool, right? Randy Savage. Excuse me. Leader of the NWO. Okay. It would have a, a, a strong effect on the programming. And you could say that it might even... Tickle the popularity of pop culture in the mainstream. I mean, giving Savage a little bit more of an attitude. I mean, Savage always had an attitude, but with with Hall and Nash and the NWO, and I mean, it wouldn't be as strong as Hogan, but I think it would have an I think it would have an effect on mainstream media and something that would have kind of reinvented Randy Savage's career. Yes, he eventually would join the NWO a year and a half later. Okay, um, but actually, no, he would join, he would, yeah, about a year or so later, he would join the NWO, okay? Um, but Randy Savage, when he left the WWF, one of the main reasons why he joined WCW was because they saw value in him as a performer in the ring. WWF didn't see that in him anymore. And so this could be something that revitalizes Randy Savage's career, as the, the third man, the leader of the NWO, with two guys who were mainstays in the WWF, taking over the WCW, and in some ways, a big fuck you to Vince McMahon, who said, we're going to keep you as a commentator, we don't think you, you, we don't think that, we think your time is done in the ring, it's time for the new guys to come through, and so... It, it, it could be beneficial to Savage. It could be beneficial to WCW programming. And hell, maybe it could be beneficial to the wrestling world. Maybe Randy Savage being the third man with the Outsiders would be the thing that kind of puts him over the top and makes him puts him in that GOAT status, okay? Because, I mean, let's face it. When people talk greatest of all time in wrestling, they talk Hogan, they talk Austin, they talk Ric Flair, they talk Rock, they talk Dusty Rhodes, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker... Randy Savage is in a class by himself. He's one of the greatest of all time, but I don't feel like he gets talked on that Mount Rushmore. Like, people don't put him up on that Mount Rushmore. And maybe joining the NWO, maybe forming the NWO um, with Hall and Nash is something that kind of puts him up there, you know, revitalizes his in-ring career, you know, adds another layer and another dimension to his character. And from there... You know, bad guy Randy Savage leading the NWO, wreaking havoc over WCW, you know, against the likes of Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, Sting, Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, the list goes on and on. Um, I think it would I think it would have been a very interesting time in wrestling had they had gone that route. Um, let's move on here. Let's talk about um, now these last two suggestions ideas scenarios alternates for the third man um, are probably the two strongest out of the four that I've you know that, that that I'll illustrate to you here on this recording um the first one being 
This one's kind of a this. I, I'm I'm trying to figure out which one I should I should go with first. Ah, fuck it. Bret Hart. Could Bret Hart have been the third man and join the Outsiders to lead the New World Order in WCW? Um, <clears throat> let, let, let's set the scene here for a minute, okay? WrestleMania 12, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, classic Iron Man match, which I think is overrated, but it's still... I have an appreciation for it, but it's not one of the greatest matches of all time. Like, it's it's just not. I don't think so. So anyhow, um, Bret Hart leaves the WWF. His contract runs out. He goes to take a break. Um, and Shawn Michaels is left, you know, carrying the title and waving the flag while Bret Hart is out. Every so often, he'd make a few sporadic appearances, you know, for like overseas trips and stuff for the WWF. But for the most part, you know, he was not working under a contract with the WWF at that time. And according to Brett in his book, he stated that Eric Bischoff had reached out to him in the summer of 96 about possibly being the third man with Hall and Nash. Now, Bischoff refuted that statement and said that he had very loose conversations with Bret Hart about coming to WCW, but there was no creative plan in place for him. It was, are you interested in working? Let's have a talk. And they were just kind of feeling each other out over a couple of beers. That's according to Bischoff on his 83 Weeks podcast. But Brett claims he was asked to be the third man. So, And you know how I feel about Bret Hart. Um, one of the greatest of all time in ring. His contributions to the business, second to none. But at, he has a tendency to really think very highly of himself uh, in later years. And trash a lot of wrestlers and trash a lot of people in the business that he worked with over things that happened 25, 30 years ago that he can't get over. So... Um, <clears throat> Nonetheless, um, let's talk about the prospects of that possibly taking place. I think Bret Hart being the third man would make a lot of sense. He wasn't under contract with the WWF. At that time, Eric Bischoff and WCW liked to pull a few rabbits out of the hat every once in a while on their programming. You know, Luger showing up on Nitro, uh, on the debut Nitro, unannounced. Big surprise. Medusa. Former WWF Women's Champion, known as Alundra Blaze, taking the women's title on Nitro and throwing it in the trash can. Giving away the results for free, okay, of, of Monday Night Raw on Nitro. You know, Raw was a tape show. Nitro was live. Bischoff had no problem giving away the results live on the air so that you could keep people on his programming, all right? I wouldn't put it past Eric Bischoff and WCW to... Pull the rabbit out of every, out of the hat and Bret Hart be the third guy. Okay? How do we get to that point? Well, I think it would be very similar to the way they gave us Hogan's turn. All right? Um, Hall and Nash against Sting, Luger, and Savage. Um, Luger's out. Sting is down. Savage is... Savage is, you know, two-on-one. Hogan shows up, all right? But instead of Hogan getting in the ring and tearing the shirt off, out of nowhere, boom, Bret Hart jumps Hogan from behind, attacks Hogan on the floor, and then instructs Hall and Nash to continue doing damage to, to Randy Savage. 
Bret Hart gets in the ring and talks about how disrespected he felt by WCW for WCW not picking up the phone and calling him when he was a free agent, okay? Bret Hart could talk about his history with Hulk Hogan and how Hulk Hogan used him to get to the top. And Hulk Hogan took away all the big money spots for guys like Bret Hart. Even though Bret Hart was a hard worker and very popular with the audience, Hulk Hogan still managed to keep himself at the top. This could be a personal rivalry that that doesn't necessarily involve the NWO taking over WCW, but more or less Bret Hart having an axe to grind with Hulk Hogan. Okay? We've heard the narrative before about 1993, WrestleMania 9, Bret Yoko for the title. Yoko wins, okay? And Hogan comes in and wins the title from Yoko immediately following. And the rumor is that it was supposed to be Hogan and Bret at SummerSlam, according to Bret. According to Hogan, according to other people, that was never going to be the case. Hogan was always set to drop the title to Yokozuna at King of the Ring. But Bret claims Hogan told him, I'll drop the title to you and do the job. And when Brett claims that Hogan then went back on his word, that's where the issues began between the two of them. So I don't know what's true and what's not. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and pick a side here, but you could go with that narrative in, in, a, in a more vague sense. Meaning, we're not going to mention Yokozuna, we're not going to mention Vince McMahon, we're not going to mention... WWF, we're just going to mention that Hulk Hogan, you know, used his political power and, you know, his stroke to to stay on top and hold down the likes of a Bret the Hitman heart. And, of course, Bret has those strong WWF ties because, let's face it, when Hogan left, even though they tried Luger and it didn't work, Bret was really their guy. Wrestling was different. It wasn't as popular and it was... And the WWF was struggling at times. And that's nothing on Bret Hart. I just think, you know, wrestling wasn't as popular. But Bret Hart was their guy. And he had a following. He had a strong following. Uh, uh, You know, especially with the Canadian fans. Because he's from Canada. But Bret Hart coming in, being the third man. And, um, you know, having this vendetta with Hulk Hogan. It would be the match that wrestling fans, it would be the dream match that wrestling fans wanted to see that WCW was able to produce. Because, let's face it, two years prior, Hogan and Flair wrestled on pay-per-view at Bash at the Beach in Hogan's debut. That was supposed to be the WrestleMania 8 match, without a doubt. That was supposed to be WrestleMania 8. We didn't get that, okay? We did not get that. For a number of reasons. And I've talked about that on this program before. Whether it was the steroid trial, that whether it was backstage politics, there was some stuff going on that unfortunately led to Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania 8 not happening. But we saw it in Bash at the Beach. The narrative, like I mentioned earlier, Brett and Hogan supposed to be for the title at SummerSlam. Okay? There was allegedly this magazine photo shoot that was, that was set to take place with Brett and Hogan that eventually had taken place with Hogan and Brett, you know, having a tug of war with the title. That was supposed to be the big main event, they claim. You know, at least Brett claims that in his book. They had this big photo shoot. Um, you can kind of bring that to life in, under WCW's roof. With Hall and Nash as kind of Brett's heavies, you know, as his henchmen. Um, but then we would go back to 
um, you know, Hulk Hogan still being a good guy? Would WCW fans accept Hulk Hogan still being a good guy? Had Bret Hart been the third man? Had Randy Savage been the third man? Had Lex Luger been the third man? And had my last choice been the third man? And that is Sting, okay? Um, Sting, okay? The franchise of WCW. He never left. Anytime guys flip-flop back and forth between WWF and WCW, Sting was always there, okay? Sting didn't, you know... He waved the WCW flag for a long time. Sting being the third man would definitely rock the foundation of WCW programming because he was such a staple. Um, But uh, I don't think Sting being the third man would shake up the wrestling world. Now, actually, you know what? Let me let let me let me go back here for a moment, okay? Let me let me just kind of put a period on the end of the sentence when it comes to Bret Hart, okay? I think Bret Hart's shocking defection to WCW would shake up wrestling, okay? I don't think it would be as big on a mainstream level, but I think it would definitely shake up wrestling because many people wouldn't expect it because he was always a WWF guy. So him joining WCW and being the leader of the NWO with Hall and Nash, I think, and turning into a bad guy because he was always once known as this clean-cut baby face. You give, you put 1997, you know, um, Bret Hart with a little bit of an edge on WCW programming at that time in 96, I think it would have made WCW program a hot commodity. Would it have changed wrestling? Maybe. I don't think it would have grown to mainstream levels, but who knows. Um, now let's go back to Sting, Okay. If Sting were the third guy, would it have been a game changer for the entire business? No, I don't think so. I think Sting was a very popular wrestler and he was known amongst casual wrestling fans, but not as many as as you would think, okay? Would it change WCW programming? Absolutely, because that audience was so conditioned to seeing Sting, you know, this very colorful character with the face paint and the flat top you know surfer cut and and the 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 colorful outfits turning him into a bad guy it would just it would it would it would it would definitely be a shock to the to the wcw audience and their fan base um now how do you get there well there's a lot of different ways you can go there okay you know like i said he was the franchise of wcw he never left sting was always a company guy. Um, you know, he took a back seat to Hogan. Okay? When Hogan arrived in 94, Sting was the number one babyface. He took that back seat, and you didn't see him a whole lot or as much. And he was kind of playing second fiddle to Hogan for quite some time. You know? Um, and so, Sting being the guy um, to, to lead the New World Order with Hall and Nash would make for an interesting um interesting scenario. Now would he go would he adopt the crow look? I don't know. Would he still adopt the face paint? I'm not sure. Okay. Um maybe, maybe not. I've always felt like Sting as a bad guy had potential, but I think the human being Steve Borden just didn't feel comfortable with it. And that's why all the little heel runs the little mini heel runs he had in wcw and in tna they just didn't work 
because he he just didn't feel comfortable in that role. Um, had he been a hundred percent comfortable and willing to go through with it, um, maybe we would see a more successful heel version of Sting. Now, how do we get there? Um, like I said, he's a franchise. He took a backseat to Hogan. Um, for a while, he was kind of um, babysitting Lex Luger and his character and kind of being the middleman between Luger and Savage and Luger and Hogan from time to time. Um, how, how would a, a run with Sting be as the leader of the New World Order? Um, you can get that dream matchup with Hogan. You can get that dream matchup with Savage as a heel. But I don't feel like it would be a game changer to wrestling. I don't feel like it would blow up the entire landscape of wrestling. It might change WCW programming for a little bit. But I feel like you would always go back to Sting always being a good guy. Like It might be something that on paper would be cool. But once they lay it out, once they, they, they execute it, I don't know it would be as successful. And short term, I think it would be. But long term, I don't think it would. I, I think it would hurt Sting's career had he been the third guy. Okay. Yes, it would have made sense because he was the franchise of WCW. And yes, he didn't have any prior ties to the WWF with Hall and Nash. But Hall and Nash coming in to infiltrate their biggest homegrown star and Sting to take over the company, the guy that knows a lot about that company. On the surface, you would think, oh, yeah, that's going to work. But I don't think Steve Borden, the human being, would have been as comfortable. And I'm not speaking on behalf of him, but I'm just going based on history and interviews I've read with him where he's talked about how he didn't feel comfortable being a bad guy from time to time. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Sting um, would have been a, a, a great choice. It would have added initial shock value. But I don't think there's a whole lot of meat on the bone to go from there after that. You may get a run with Hogan. You may get a run with, with, with Savage. You may even get a run with Luger. Maybe even Flair. Okay, Maybe you can get six months to a year out of that. But I think after a while, I think people would want to see Sting back as a good guy. And so I don't think it would have had as lasting of effect as the others that I would mentioned before. Now, let me talk about... Let me just end this here with the historical significance of, of Hogan turning heel and why it was the right move for wrestling as a whole. First of all, wrestling had become mainstream because of Hulk Hogan. Okay, Hulk Hogan in the WWF brought wrestling to a mainstream level. All right, He was the quintessential hero in the 80s. Train, say your prayers, eat your vitamins. Him kind of taking that, that, that edge to his character and running with it during a time period in 96 where society was becoming a little bit more edgier. You know, you had, you know, it was like shock. It, it, it was the early stages of like shock jock radio and television. You had Jerry Springer, you had Howard Stern, you had all these, you know, Dennis Rodman in sports was a controversial figure. Hogan kind of changing with the times and adopting an edgier, um, aspect to his character was something that was very much needed and why it changed wrestling as a whole because I think people looked at Hulk Hogan as the you know the face of wrestling and 
as this quintessential good guy, and now he's changing with the times and he's a bad guy, it just threw people for a loop and people wanted to see what kind of ride that they were going to go on. And I think it, I think personally, obviously it was the best move made. 25 years later, we're still talking about it. I mean, the NWO is still a thing in a sense. The NWO got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. Okay. They sell merchant NWO merchandise like crazy. People still talk about the NWO. I do a podcast. I've talked about the NWO a bunch of times. I've done watch alongs involving the NWO. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it had the NWO not been formed with Hulk Hogan, Hall and Nash. I don't know how, I don't know how strong wrestling would be in the last 25 years. I don't know how popular it would have been in the last 25 years. Could WCW have closed sooner? Yes, I think it could have. I think Turner would have said, you know what? We're done here. This ain't working. We're just bleeding money. It's time to move on. Fisher cut bait, and it's time to cut bait and just, you know, throw them back in the water and 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 live to fight another day. Um, yeah, I, I do I do believe that in my heart of hearts. You know, they were gonna give up on WCW three years prior before Eric Bischoff became president. And Bischoff came in and had a, a, a business plan and he helped turn things around and then it just continued and then they were on a roll with the NWO. The NWO, you know, put them in the you know, got them out of the red financially. And now if Hogan hadn't done what he did and if they didn't turn Hogan and bring in Hall and Nash and form this NWO, WCW probably would have shut down a few years prior. Uh, or maybe even not long after 1996. They probably would have just said, yep, yeah, you know what, we're done. I truly believe that. Um, now, one thing I do want to mention and close on here, you know, I, I, I kind of brought this up here um, in some of these scenarios, you know, Hogan still being a good guy. What kind of an effect um, would Hulk Hogan have on wrestling had he not turned into a bad guy? Had he not changed his ways? Had he not formed the NWO with Hall Nash? Um, I think it's I think Hogan's smart enough to realize that had he decided, you know what, I'm not going to be a bad guy and I'm going to keep things the way they are. I feel like there would be something that would have influenced him to just say. You know what? I gotta add. I gotta add a little bit of edginess to this character. I gotta change some things up if I want to keep my longevity in the business. I think honestly, had either Lex Luger, Sting, Macho Man, or Bret Hart been the third guy, those four that I that I had suggested that I had come up with, had those four guys been any one of those guys been the third man, and Hogan still stayed a good guy, I think Hogan would have been influenced by the edgier nature of wrestling as a whole to kind of not so much add a Hollywood Hogan aspect to his character, but he would be a little bit more edgier. Maybe he wouldn't be training and saying the prayers and eating the vitamins. Maybe he wouldn't be coming out wearing the red and yellow. I think with the rise of Stone Cold Steve Austin at that time and how the people were reacting to him, I think Hogan would have taken elements of Austin Put it into his character a little bit. I'm not saying flipping people off, drinking beer, and cussing. But Hogan with a little bit more of an edge, and he's not so nice. I think he would have adopted that into his character and still be a babyface. You know? Like, if you remember back in 2000 when um, WCW... 
put together the New Blood Millionaires Club storyline, and Russo and Bischoff were the heels representing the New Blood, and Hogan was representing the Millionaires Club. But Hogan, some Hogan would come out wearing street clothes, and he'd wrestle matches in black jeans and a t-shirt, and um, you know he, he 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 would cuss a little bit, and he kind of even referenced himself as Terry Bollea instead of Hulk Hogan. Um, I think personally. We would have seen something like that in 1996. Maybe, maybe in in any one of those four scenarios with Sting, Brett, Savage, or Luger as the third man, they take Hogan out and he's off TV for a little while. But Hogan comes back this like badass, you know. Hogan shows up to a Nitro, pulling up in his Dodge Charger, gets out of the car, and he's ready to fucking whoop some ass. You know what I mean? Like maybe we would have seen something like that. Had Hogan decided not to be the third man. Hogan comes back as this badass hero. Maybe, just maybe, Hogan kind of adopts the 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 brooding aspect of the Sting Crow character into his character. Maybe Hogan leaves for a while and comes back. I'm not saying paint your face or anything like that, but maybe Hogan just kind of keeps silent, kind of lurks in the shadows while these end while any one of those versions of the NWO is wreaking havoc. And then finally, he becomes this big badass. I'm not saying you wait, you know, a year to have the big match with him and Brad or him and Savage or him and Sting or whoever. But maybe Hogan kind of adopts that that role a little bit and, and incorporates that into his character. You know, he's got to go dark a little bit. They tried it for like a few weeks when he was doing that Dungeon of Doom stuff and they had him wear all black. But that was pretty fucking silly, you know. Maybe a little bit more of a modern version of 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 that, you know. Like I said, taking elements of of the edginess to Steve Austin, and you know, adding a little bit more of a, a a brooding aspect to that character. You know, Hogan could be Hogan could eventually be the savior of WCW that they wanted him to be, but not with the red and the yellow. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's something that would have been interesting to ponder and interesting to. To, to really dive into a little bit. And I thought I'd bring that up and, and kind of share that with all of you. Um, and with that being said, you know, I, I think I've covered it all. I think I've covered all the bases here when it comes to who could have been the third man and why. Um, not necessarily big game changers for the entire wrestling industry as a whole, but um, something some interesting scenarios to ponder that I think um, w- would have shaken up WCW programming one way or another. So uh, I thank you all so very much. Happy birthday to the NWO, 25 years later, and we're still going strong. We, like I'm a part of the group, but you know. Um, so it's, 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 it's NWO week. Throw up the two sweet sign when you're out in public and you see someone. Um, bask in the glory that is the New World Order and the, the impact that they had on professional wrestling as a whole. You know, there's, go watch some old NWO stuff on, on Peacock and, 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 Remind yourself of how great wrestling was during that time period, during that era. Because you know, I, I certainly do. I, I I'm nostalgia till the day till the day I die when it comes to wrestling. You know, I, I think of the old days, and you know, going back and watching a lot of that old NWO stuff. You know, reminds me of when I was a youngster and how cool that 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 time period was to live in. So, uh, with that being said, uh, we're gonna end this show with the audio of the Hulk Hogan heel turn and his promo following that. So. Uh, which I don't own the rights to, by the way. I'll, I'll 
Let me get that out there. So with that being said, we're going to put the show officially down for the three count. Next week, Dennis comes back. We're going to watch CM Punk, John Cena, Money in the Bank 2011. Can't wait to get into that next week. But we end it with Hulk Hogan's heel turn at Bash at the Beach.
that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group, you've got to be kidding me. Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north, and everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? I've been there. I've done that. You have made the wrong decision, in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization a monster. I made people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there, brother. And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted promised me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here, the so-called outsiders, these are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling, brother. And not only are we going to take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me, we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you want to hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nat. As far as I'm concerned, all of this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids. And the reception I got when I came out here, you fans can stick it, brother. Because if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, you people wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff would be still selling meat from a truck in Minneapolis. And if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan, all these Johnny-come-latelys that you see out here, wrestling wouldn't be here. I was selling out the world, brother, while they were bumming gas to put in their car to get to high school. So the way it is now, brother, with Hulk Hogan and the New World Organization of Wrestling, brother, me and the new blood by my side, what you gonna do when the New World Organization runs wild on you? What you gonna do? What are you hey, gonna do? Don't touch me, I'm gonna free the lawyers. Cody, Bobby, Dusty, damn it, let's get back to you. All right, we have seen the end of Hulkamania.
for Bobby the Brain Heenan, for Dusty, for Dusty Rhodes, Gene Okerlund. I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell.